The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer. David Faber has the morning off. Futures are weak amid the tension in Washington. Uh, Democrats prepare impeachment proceedings. Corporate America responds further to the Capitol attack. Our roadmap begins with possible impeachment as the House readies a vote potentially this week. What big tech silencing of the president says about its influence and an exclusive with the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange in just a few moments. All right, Jim, uh, just you and me today. Let's set the table. Uh, is the weakness this morning about D.C. or is this about uh, City and Jeffries talking about 2 percent tenure at year end? Well, I think that there's uh, overseas. Uh, the market turned down pretty violently, uh, not really a reflection of us. I think that uh, the market's been keying on a couple of things. Tesla uh, been keying on oil, uh, been, been keying on uh, the bond market, obviously. And oil, if I see these things turn around, I, I would be more bullish. But I think it's a consolidation. And when you listen to the Speaker of the House in 60 Minutes last night, basically just saying the president's the most dangerous man, uh, you got a week of danger and the markets don't like that. Yeah. You know, we talked about uh, election risk going into the vote in November and actually in October, right? We were, we were reading the notes from J.P. Morgan right. and, uh, and Symbolist. And the argument at the time or the worry at the time was that A.G. Barr would impound election results and we would truly have dueling inaugurations. But with the president committing to an orderly transition, I mean, how do we describe election risk or I guess inauguration risk at this point? Well, I think that there's a, a number of people, there's an undercurrent. Uh, that I think is at this point pretty legitimate as we listen to what's going on, find out what was on Facebook, that there was a, uh, an inside job. And I think there are a lot of people in America uh, who believe that something happened and we need to know what really happened in the Capitol before we can make a judgment what's going to happen in the inauguration. Uh, the stories do seem to indicate that there was uh, some critical gaps this weekend. Uh, on Wednesday, the stories this weekend made you feel like, OK, we really don't know what happened. And I think that level of uncertainty makes it so that we don't know what's going to happen in the inauguration. Obviously, they're going to be better prepared. It would just be terrible if they weren't. But I think that we need I'm waiting for Merrick Garland to come out and say, OK, listen, the first thing we do is is have a commission, figure out what happened that day. Uh, and then I also think that uh, Biden should, has to come out and say, listen, we need to figure out what's going on with the vaccine. These are things that are really worrisome, Carl. The number of caseload is just incredible. Uh, what really happened on Wednesday? Very uncertain. Uh, impeachment, or is that crazy? We don't know. And then on top of that, we have the tenure. Uh, but I do think that it's Washington that's in control, and it won't be in control uh, 10 days from now, but we got to get there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some of the health care stuff. We just heard from uh, Dr. Gottlieb on Squawk, and again over the weekend, saying that the strategy needs a reset. Right. Uh, at the same time, though, Jim, on a positive note, uh, analysts are hopeful on J&J as we await uh, P3 data. Uh, O'Day from Gilead this morning, Remdesivir, appears to work on the new strain. I mean, how much 
uh, embedded positive news could there be as we watch J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference this week? Well, I had Lisa Gill on Friday night, and she's the principal who runs that conference, and I pressed her directly on J&J. Uh, because I think J&J, one shot, and obviously uh, a company that could produce far more than anybody uh, are expecting. And she said, listen, it's mid-February. Uh, so obviously it would be a huge surprise if we got something uh, th- uh, before that. But she's certainly not expecting it. But she, I, I never heard her say anything about Eli Lilly. And the Eli Lilly Alzheimer's news is pretty stunning. Uh, on a normal day where we didn't have Washington, I think we'd be talking about the idea that there's a 32 percent slowing of, of this loss of cognition and daily functioning for Alzheimer's. It, that's extraordinary. We've never seen anything work for Alzheimer's. So that would have been the focus if it weren't for the fact that there are so many things that are uh, related to uh, what happened on Wednesday and also what happened with social media and with tech. But the other, normally the story would be Lily. Yeah, we'll get to social media and the tech ban a little bit later. To your larger point, though, Jim, on a normal day, we might also be talking about the two dozen companies who are raising guidance uh, this morning. I mean, uh, Lululemon and Dave & Buster's are just two of them. It's all over the place. And I think that uh, the notion that the consumer is strong is coming out there. Obviously, there are so many winners right now that it is hard to believe, other than the fact that you're, there's a, an exhaustion of winners. Uh, Lululemon, that was truly great. I guess there was someone who said, no, that's not enough. Uh, I see a lot of companies uh, basically saying, look, uh, things are good. And they need to say that things are incredibly good uh, in order to be able to raise, raise the uh, needle. But I, I, I feel very strongly that uh, you can buy the weakness. I just don't know if you want to buy the weakness the first day of the weakness. Right, right. Speaking of the week, uh, it's going to be a big one. Uh, We're going to get uh, Biden's stimulus uh, plan on Thursday, which he said would be in the trillions. CES will sort of be on the back burner, but we'll monitor that. But, Jim, it'll all lead up to bank earnings on Friday. Uh, We did hear from Citi and J.P. Morgan over the weekend uh, through a political lens as they sort of revisit their policies on their political action committees. But what do you think the story will be when the banks finally print? Well, I think that the the banks, uh, some good notes this morning, Uh, Bank of America upgrading to buy from neutral uh, at Citi. And the theme here is, is that there's more there's more leverage to the steeper yield curve. When you mentioned that at the top of the show, Uh, higher quality uh, in terms of credit risk, expense levers, excess capital. These are all things that make you want to buy a group that is still, even after the move of the last three weeks, well behind the rest of the market. I think a lot of people, Carl, feel that this is not a dangerous group because unlike so many stocks that you go over, they, they are nowhere near their highs. So many people, I think, are averse to buying stocks that are at their highs right now after this remarkable run. So uh, the banks still fit the depiction of, of companies that are well off their highs. Yeah. Uh, but that's not stopping names like Tesla no. uh, from getting more attention today. It's B of A. Uh, they go to 900, uh, new street high. And, and Jim, the line in the, in the note basically argues higher stock price in a capital intensive business uh, leads to cheaper capital costs and higher stock price. But right. I thought that this was the true virtual circle that you're always looking for with the stock, which is the higher <laughs> it goes, the more money it, may, it can make because it's offering stock. It, this is so funny because there's a note, a downgrade of Salesforce today. And the Salesforce downgrade is they keep issuing a lot of stuff. It's called Hungry Hippo. Uh, it's the, was what they regard Salesforce as. They keep issuing stock to be able to buy. Uh, and that is not liked versus the idea of issuing stock in order to be able to build. 
And I think that people feel that as long as te- a lot of the analysts feel that as long as Tesla's raising money, they can continue to build more cars than we thought. As long as they can build more cars than we thought, then the estimates are have to go higher. Uh, this is just uh, Credit Suisse says same thing. Bank of America. This is one of those things. That, Carl, this can't go on every day. There are a moment where someone says, right. I, didn't I hear that already? And I think we're at the didn't I hear that already moment. That's a great point. Uh, as you said, CS goes to 800. But last week it was Evercore and RBC. And really, this wave of, uh, of target increases got kicked off by Jonas when at Morgan Stanley when he went to 810. Right. Look, I think that it gets to there's a, you get a siege where it's like, okay, is this thing going to be able to go to 1,000? Is there too much stock? Is that the wall? I do feel that at this point, uh, if Tesla comes down a little bit, Carl, that would be good, because I think it's losing. I know that the analysts are saying it's a virtuous circle, but at a certain point, you need uh, real buyers to come in, and they can overwhelm their own stock if they keep issuing stock. Uh, Jim, well, let's squeeze in big tech over the weekend. Of course, uh, Twitter bans the president. Uh, Google suspends Parler. Apple takes them off the App Store. AWS stops serving them. Uh, site's gone dark, I think, as of this morning. Uh, Twitter is really the only big name that is down meaningfully pre-market, down about seven. Right. There are a lot of people who just say some of the analysts are saying, look, this is going to slow growth. I don't see how it can I mean, I think that there are a lot of people who literally knew that the president was the most important person and you had to keep checking him. And then you had to check people who uh, who talked about him. And you just had this endless wave, this web that the president created. And then the the uh, it was like action and reaction. So I think that the the surprise factor of going to Twitter, which was, of course, the president is gone. I haven't checked. Look, it's just suspended. I, I, I've been looking at sports, Carl. I always think the president first. Now I'm, I'm looking at what's going to happen with the Eagles and their change in management. I do believe that, Carl, <laughs> Twitter's uh, got to come up with a new thesis very, very quickly because I think that they always eat. They never talked about the power of Trump in bringing in people. I am telling you, the real Donald Trump was a great salesperson for Twitter. Uh, yeah, it takes us back to last week's No Data City that uh, that DAUs for the quarter uh, could be at risk. We'll see if the, if the, if the president's ban uh, leads to that. When we come back, uh, the chairman of the Intercontinental Exchange, Jeffrey Specker, will join us on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Here's some exciting news back, and that's BAKKT, a digital asset marketplace founded by the Intercontinental Exchange, and they own the NICE and the New York Stock Exchange, is becoming a publicly traded company via merger with the SPAC VPC Impact Acquisition Holdings. Joining us now in a CNBC exclusive is Jeffrey Sprecher, Intercontinental Exchange Chairman and CEO, as well as Gavin Michael, the CEO of Backed Itself. Welcome, gentlemen. Good to see you. Thank you, Jim. So, Jeff, Thanks, Jim. this is the most exciting area of the market right now. And we know that because uh, cryptocurrencies, we're all looking for any way to so-called play it, whether it be the actual uh, crypto itself or whether it be uh, there's a dearth. I mean, Square, PayPal. Will this be the direct way if you want to invest in the concept of cryptocurrency? I think it's even bigger than that, Jim. Um, we, we got into this business because we were interested in the blockchain. We were interested in what was going on in the crypto space. And so years ago, uh, we started back as a, as a real venture uh, back 
company within our firm. But as we got into it, we started to see there are all kinds of digital assets uh, beyond cryptocurrencies that you and I deal with. We have airline miles and, and rental car miles, reward points. We have uh, uh, restaurant points and, and points from coffee companies and, uh, and all kinds of merchants that are, uh, that are rewarding us in different ways. And we started to think, what if we could create essentially a wallet uh, a depository institution where you could put all of those assets in one place and then uh, because we're an exchange, uh, underneath it we could trade back and forth so that uh, you could convert one set of uh, rewards to another set of rewards and use them fungibly uh, for spending. What I, I, candidly, I didn't know how big this division was. Uh, I didn't know all the affinity programs. But if, if I want to own uh, Intercontinental Exchange, uh, don't I want all of this back business? I mean, to me, it's very, very exciting. Thank you. Um, I hope you do own Intercontinental Exchange, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and you and I can talk offline about that. But... Uh, no, you know, one of the things that, that, I, that my job and, and the job of the management team here is to create value for shareholders. And we have this great little company inside of us, and I don't think it was being recognized or rewarded by our own investors. And, um, and so we said to ourselves, this great vehicle now that, that the markets have created that we've helped contribute to called the SPAC might be the perfect vehicle to give more exposure to back so that people could make a direct investment in it. But... Uh, Bear in mind that, that once we do this transaction, we'll still be the majority partner. Intercontinental Exchange will still have exposure to the value inside of BAC. All right. That may be a, an alternative way to play for people who are a little more conservative. Gavin, Michael, let me bring you in back, CEO. It's interesting, Gavin, your background is, of course, at Citibank, but you were the former head of technology. So what do you bring to the equation if you had uh, that kind of experience to Citi? Good morning. Thanks, Jim. Look, a real understanding, not just of how technology operates and how we scale a venture like back to meet the demand that we expect, but also a real understanding of what the changing consumer landscape looks like, how customers' expectations are rising, and how we use digital means to meet and exceed those, those expectations. Market for Bitcoin, as we saw this weekend, is it all orderly? Can you bring some order to the market? My experience with Bitcoin is, is the weekend is just the Wild West, and you shouldn't even think about doing it. Are you going to be at 24-7? Oh, absolutely. It has to be 24-7, Jim. But what you think about is we uniquely bring together customer loyalty. I mean, think about how you've considered loyalty today. Loyalty today looks like a set of cards. We're putting it on the phone. We're allowing you to accelerate the shift to digital assets and payments. We're empowering you to use your digital assets for everyday spending. You know, think about buying your morning cup of coffee at Starbucks using unused airline points or using Bitcoin. That's what our app enables. Our app enables customers to convert their digital assets in entirely new ways. I think that has to happen. When I see NFL players ask me to pay Bitcoin, I wonder why the heck we are not all being paid a little bit in Bitcoin. Jeff, let, let me ask you something. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, he called the New York Stock Exchange President Stacey Cunningham, is well, uh, well known on our network, uh, to object to the, to the New York Stock Exchange's view of what to do with China securities. Is it the role of the government to tell you what to do? Well, uh, the New York Stock Exchange is a very highly regulated company, and, uh, and we're navigating, like many companies, um, how we deal abroad. And we've got uh, 
Uh, you know, the president's uh, actions going on. We have Congress has passed some legislation. We have the accounting standards boards are looking at China. We have the SEC that directly oversees us that's looking at the securities. And in that amalgamation, we're trying to navigate to do the right thing for this country uh, and for the markets. And, uh, and it's definitely been complicated, just much like uh, the China strategy of the country. Right. That's but what I, I, I will say th this to you, Jim, you, and you know this because you go into that building. We wrap an American flag around that building, and we do that purposely, and we are uniquely American uh, and we want to export the best things about this country abroad, but we want to do it in a way that is best for our country. And that's what you're seeing us trying to navigate right now. And, you know, I believe in that and I have for 35 years, but I am confused. I don't really know what's best for the country. Do we want the, uh, those Chinese companies raising capital in our country or do we want to shut them down? What is the right flag way to deal with this situation? Yeah, it's interesting, and I've thought a lot about it. I'm sure you have, too, which is, uh, as a society, the United States has always wanted to help the downtrodden, no matter what country they're in. We want to help people get ahead. It's, it's one of the things that we uniquely export is our giving and our big hearts. Uh, on the other hand, as, as people rise up, we don't want them to turn against us. And so there has to be some balance in there. Um, and that's what I think we're looking for is uh, how do we help the rest of the world uh, uh, for the benefit of our own people? And then how do we make sure that the rest of the world respects what we've just done? And, and that is not a seamless process. But I will tell you that the New York Stock Exchange was there during the Civil War, during World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam War, and, uh, and continues to put that flag in front of the building. So I'm confident that we'll figure out how to muddle through this. Jeffrey, you're, I mean, you're pointing to the exact right issue, uh, and your bit about being uniquely American is so well taken. I go into the building, too. I mean, let's be more direct. What, what needs to be the response to the president uh, and his speech prior to the attack on the Capitol? The legislators who tried to challenge uh, the count, uh, the protesters, the rioters themselves, how, how firm of a stance will you take? I'm confident that we're going to wrap that building in the American flag, that I can tell you. Um, I know we will survive this. The, the, this company uh, was formed when the United States was formed. Uh, the very first listing we had was the Bank of New York, which was Alexander Hamilton's bank. And the very first loan that they made was to pay the salaries of Congress. So this institution is the United States. It represents everything that's good about the United States. And notwithstanding the fact that we're going through an internal debate I'm confident to the outside world that we'll represent everything that's good about our country. Will, will, you, re, will you comment at all on the president's actions? No, I, you know, I, I think as you started at the top of the show, the capital markets are doing phenomenally well. The capital markets, which are forward-looking, are saying this is all going to work out. Uh, there are better times ahead. And uh, you can see it in the collective stock prices of our market. So I'm, I have confidence in those markets that we run. Uh, and, uh, and I'm, you know, very positive about what's going on in the future. Okay, so Jeffrey, obviously, uh, so much going on in Georgia itself. I thought it was really interesting that uh, your wife, Senator, uh, Senator Kelly Offler, of course, was, uh, was the first CEO 
and, and uh, backed. I also know that she was kind of caught up in this uh, controversy. Maybe, maybe it's not a controversy. Some people think it is about uh, trading stocks as a senator. And I struggle. I don't know what the right thing to do is. I mean, do we just say from now on senators can't do anything with stocks? Like, like I'm allowed, allowed to, I'm not allowed to. Or is it just like, look, let's just as long as there's uh, sunlight, and there's disinfectant, you can make your own judgment. I, again, I'm not sure what the right thing to do is, Jeffrey. Yeah, I think, thanks for asking me. You know what, what's been crazy uh, about that narrative is that because I'm the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange and because Kelly was the head of marketing for the New York Stock Exchange, we're actually prohibited from trading stocks. And uh, we don't even have a brokerage account that allows us to direct stock trading activity. So when we made a disclosure of uh, all of the mutual funds and, and managed uh, accounts that others are running for us, somehow, you know, the, the narrative in the politics was that, uh, that we were insider trading, which the reality is she is the one senator that is actually prohibited from trading any stocks. Boy, I am glad I asked you that because I think that has not been the narrative. One narrative that I want to go over with, though, that I think is incredibly positive, I think you do too, younger investors getting in. Now, here we can use the moniker Robin Hood, but aren't you just astonished that so many people went in after a long period where young people seem to almost object to capitalism and stocks? It's uh, one of the most amazing trends of uh of 2020, um, and uh, and you know, a combination of uh, of digital literacy by young people, coupled with uh, uh, the pandemic that kept people at home, um, caused people to think about you know the investment market as uh, as a vehicle for entertainment and for wealth creation when they weren't working, and uh, that combination has just taken our market to new heights. I I've talked to a lot of very senior people on Wall Street, and, and I believe it's a trend that is not going to go away. In other words, we have uh, created a generation of young people that, that are, are in the markets that we think over their lifetime will stay invested in the markets. Gab, some thoughts? So I think, you know, we, we, as you take that retailization of the market into account, we're helping consumers realize value that they have in assets that perhaps they didn't know that they held. You know, digital assets like loyalty points have no real value to a customer if they can't expend them in a variety of ways. And that's what BACT is bringing to this new generation, to these emerging customer segments. And that's what's so exciting about the proposition that we're, we're talking about this morning. Boy, I've got to tell you, for those who want to Find a way to be able to uh, invest in crypto and invest in points, invest in everything digital. We may have found it. I want to thank so much to uh, Gavin Michael, who's, who's backed, again, B-A-K-K-T, CEO. Uh, and I also, of course, want to thank uh, old friend Jeffrey Sprecher, Intercontinental Exchange Chairman and CEO. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on Squawk on the Street. Great. Thanks, thank Jim. You. Thanks, Carl. Got a lot of research to get to this morning. Cowan's got a big call on airlines today. We'll talk about their views of United, JetBlue, Delta, American, along with other calls on Exxon, CRM, as Jim mentioned, Kohl's, Ralph Lauren, uh, and of course, Boeing. We're back in a minute. Let's get a mad dash with Jim on this Monday. Jim, I think you're watching Neo. Yes, we were talking to Jeffrey Sprecher, Glenn's ICE, and, of course, uh, Gavin Michael is doing this new uh, back, and we mentioned China securities. Well, you want to know what China stock is hot. It's not Alibaba anymore. 
uh, ever since what happened with uh, politically, people have been focused on NEO. Carl, NEO was apparently, uh, we had NEO Day. We had NEO Weekend. And what did we see? We saw an electric car battery that people liked. We saw uh, the idea that what's going to happen is a real challenge to, uh, to Tesla. Now, uh, if the market grows from 2 to 3% EV to 10% EV, as a lot of people think, there's plenty of room for both. But this has really captured the younger person. They trade this thing like a banshee. I got to tell you, Carl, people think NEO, which will you take a look at where it's come from. It is the next Tesla. And the next Tesla has been probably something that is the greatest search that the younger people have embarked on. And they think they found it in <laughs> NEO. Yeah, I had a discussion with my kids over the weekend who informed me, Jim, they don't ever expect to own a combustion engine vehicle. And I guess shouldn't be surprised. Well, you know what? When Exxon was upgraded today. The first thing I thought is, how could these analysts be so out of sync? And this is, of course, Morgan Stanley hold to buy. Um, how could they be so out of sync with what, with what your daughter's saying? Which is that, you know what? If we are not going to drive cars that, that are on gasoline, then we're not going to want to own an oil stock. And I think that's what's going to happen in the next two, three years. So go ahead, buy Exxon. Knock yourself out. I'm with your kids. Uh, there's uh, the opening bell, Jim, and uh, the S&P 500 heat map at the bottom of your screen. Uh, we'll see what leads at the open. But, Jim, just to follow up on your note on Exxon as they uh, go to overweight over at Morgan Stanley, they, it's largely about underperforming Chevron. Uh, they think the dividends got cover. 8% yield they think probably compresses uh, as concerns about the dividend itself abate in their view. Right. I think it's really rather incredible that we could four weeks ago be worried about uh, the fact that pretty much assume that the dividend could be cut of one of the greatest uh, companies in America. Uh, but you know what? I, when I look at it, there is a, a $230 billion in market cap that's been lost here. So it's entirely possible that this one short term could uh, could continue to rally. Longer term, I come back to the idea that the oil stocks are just a trade, not investable, particularly under an administration that does not favor drilling everywhere. It's shorter term with less drilling because President Biden is going to discourage drilling. These can go higher. Longer term, I think it's the funds themselves, Carl, who are driven by ESG that might not want to show that they own ExxonMobil. Right, right. Jim, there's a lot to unpack on Boeing this morning. Yeah. Uh, Baird does make it a, a top pick as they are bullish on the return of air travel. We mentioned the cowing call. Uh, they're essentially saying the return of, of air travel uh, is probably a second half story, given some of the hiccups that we're seeing now in vaccine distribution. And then, of course, the crash uh, out of Jakarta, which I'm sure we'll check in with Phil LeBeau on later on this morning. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, let's find the black box and see what was said. But I think that the notes that are positive are why the stock ran from 160 to 200. Uh, my travel trust owns it. We just said, look, if everyone gets vaccinated, then people are going to go places. There's obviously a plain shortage if everybody goes places because we're so pent up. The pent up demand could be extraordinary. But I agree with the second half notion. Uh, we got to find out what's in the black box of the crash. Uh, terrible thing, but uh, more more important from the point of view of the stock, not of the people, because money can't be conflated with the loss. But with the stock, Carl, is is the vaccine itself. When I listened to Dr. Gottlieb this morning, and he's so good, I said to myself, wow, if they could figure this thing out, uh, it would be a first half story. But it doesn't sound like they are. The thing, obviously, is the distribution of the vaccine, which is pretty shameful, I think. Yeah. Uh, although BioNTech did uh, raise their 2021 capacity uh, to 2 billion doses, 
which is a lot. And we mentioned Gilead uh, and the hopes for J&J, although it doesn't sound like you think that's going to be a January story, which no. we have been hoping for. No, and I was hoping it would be when they announced their quarter. Uh, I do think, Carl, that making the vaccine is not the issue. And as Dr. Gottlieb said, one day we're going to be so there'll be a vaccine glut. Uh, it is this uneven distribution system, and that's a polite word. So they've got the vaccine. A lot of places are throwing the vials out because this stuff's already bad. I mean, this is I think there's a lot of people who are saying this is not the way to do it. Uh, and that maybe President-elect Biden will have a better way. But right now, there's far more vaccine than there is uh, at this very moment. People who are lining up to get it because we're all pretty much discouraged. I live in New Jersey. I don't know anyone who hasn't registered. I also don't know anyone who's gotten it. So uh, it does seem to be a real free-for-all. Uh, with Florida being the greatest East Coast, you get it. West Coast, it's just chaos. Uh, Tallahassee, no one seems to be getting it. It's kind of a microcosm of what's going on in this country right now, Carl. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk to the governor of West Virginia later on this morning, which has done, on a relative basis, a good job of, uh, of getting uh, jabs into arms by targeting local pharmacies and not necessarily the chains. Uh, but more on that in the days and weeks to come, Jim. Ten-year, almost one one three. Um, today, it's it's Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley saying rates are the wild card. You got Costin at Goldman Sachs upping his S and P earnings for the year, Jim, but warning about higher corporate tax and trimming his numbers for the following year. Year end remains forty three hundred. But again, the focus on rates is not ending. No, and I do think that uh, that's why the bank stocks are a buy every time they dip. I think that one thing is certain, Carl, there's not a lot of money coming out of the market. There's a lot of money coming in. It's kind of shifting around different places. Obviously, the young person's money is going to what, what is uh, considered to be uh, the most cutting edge. I think that's a fair way to put it. But uh, I'm not as concerned as either gentleman because I think that uh, the stability in Washington that might happen could actually be a great positive. Uh, I think that the rancor uh, got to people in the end. I think that Wednesday may have been the pinnacle of the rancor. And if there's just a little bit of calm, I can take higher taxes. I think that the notion of, of a kind of a police force within a police force is going to be the new theme in terms of investigating what happened Wednesday. Got to see what a new attorney general, uh, Merrick Garland, he's appointed by Biden, does. I think there's... Uh, I think both sides of whatever would happen in Washington want to be able to express what did occur. But mostly, I think that if we get uh, just just the end of the endless challenges, whether you like President Trump or hate President Trump, how about a focus on how great companies are doing uh, despite the pandemic? I think that'd be positive. Carl. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I love that, Jim. I mean, you remind me of what Niall Ferguson said uh, yesterday over the weekend out of Bloomberg, and that is, Rather than worsening the country's polarization, uh, the events of the past few months, not not days only, but months, have, in fact, restored the center ground. And that's what you think the markets are counting on. Yes, I really do. I mean, there were so many uh, House Republicans who are obviously not part of the center ground. But and that was even after uh, the trashing of the Capitol. Uh, but I think that the trashing the Capitol really hit home. Uh, and the narrative is going to be, Carl, if you're in favor of uh, the the election be results being overthrown. Where are you in terms of trying to be able to uh, break the government, not cause violence, but to break the government? And I think that that, yes, that was just one of those events that I think really crystallized things. By the way, Carl, I'm going to be uh, candid here that not having the president on Twitter is welcome when it comes to the stock market. Hate him or like him. You had to constantly check your Twitter account to see whether the president 
uh, who I think was arbitrary and capricious in the end, although some people say that's always been a style. What's he saying about China? I mean, you know, Pompeo goes to, is really making it so Taiwan is the issue. People have to recognize that Taiwan Semiconductor is the most important semiconductor company in the world. And you don't want China to capture that. Uh, I think the president's hard line on China continues. We heard Jeffrey Sprecher talk about the need to be able to do what's right for the country. You and I ourselves were not sure about what's right to do for the country. Do we let, do we let the Chinese raise money or do we shut down China? There's so much confusion. And I think all we really want to do, Carl, is focus on the bank stocks in our little world. Focus on Eli Lilly. Focus on the idea that maybe Boeing comes back. And that will happen if there's center ground. Obviously, center ground is what you might want first, unless there are people who really do favor uh, the idea that there should never be a coming together. Uh, there should never be a unity. There should never be a view that Lincoln espoused, even at the height of the Civil War. Yeah, yeah. Well said, Jim. Speaking of all of that, some of the names that are there's a lot of firms out this week with top picks for the year at, uh, at JPM. It's going to be Disney, Verizon, our parent Comcast, Timo and American Tower, uh, favorites for reasons within their specific silo. Um, but this is a nice, sturdy list of favorites for the year, JPM says. And that's what you go back to on a day like, say, tomorrow or maybe late in the afternoon. I thought the, the Disney call was really terrific because that's the coiled spring in the group. And they're talking about even more people signing up. Disney Plus was obviously a great success. Uh, it is incredible for those of us who watch football. There, there are uh, advertisements for cars. Uh, there are advertisements for insurance and there's advertisements for telephone companies and they're relentless. Uh, it is. I mean, look, there was a weekend. There were six games and they were remarkable. But that's what you kept seeing over and over again. It's a reminder that those industries are really competitive. But the Timo has pulled ahead and Verizon's good if you want dividend. It's really kind of an exercise in stocks, right? I mean, well, wait a second. ATT is kind of dicey with that with that dividend. But if they think that they're going to be able to do well with HBO, that stock can do well. Verizon, you don't even have to think about. And then T-Mobile, the growth of T-Mobile is extraordinary and people didn't count on it. It's continually underestimated by Wall Street, uh, in part because it's not uh, T-Mobile management. is no longer as promotional as it used to be and also as fun as it used to be. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, yeah, not as colorful uh, as uh, as it once was uh, with John no longer there. Uh, the other one that struck me, Jim, uh, sort of uh, talking about the street counting on a recovery uh, throughout the year is the upgrade of UNP uh, and Canadian National over at Bernstein. They go to outperform rail volume. They see over delivering for the next two to three years. Look, this is a stock, uh, and our friend uh, Stephanie Link has talked about this endlessly correctly. Union Pacific has done a remarkable job uh, of, of cutting expenses, and they do this precision railroad. And now if we see a resumption of, uh, of trade with China in a more aggressive way. It's truly trip for Union Pacific. But, Carl, this is, it's, it's hard to imagine. A recession developing. Some people talk about double dip uh, recession just on Friday when we got the employment number. But it's hard when you look at that chart to think, well, wait a second. How can this country be really in trouble if the rails are doing well? And uh, they're all doing well. Some of it, again, is cost. Some of it's reliability. There's a sense that the rails were not a great way to ship things, and they've really gotten their act together. Uh, Union Pacific's be able to take out a lot of costs. Uh, they also, I thought this, the note was great that we saw, they, you know, they pre-announced on, on Friday, talking about the idea that there can be additional capacity without spending more. A lot of people thought, Carl, that Union Pacific was going to be in a spend cycle. If the spend cycle is over, they're going to be back into just a heavy buyback. They've got one that's been going on. This is a winner stock. A lot of people feel they've missed it. They haven't. 
Union Pacific goes higher. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the other uh, buyback uh, uh, that I saw this morning, Jim, was out of BMY, another $2 billion. Uh, so we'll keep our eye uh, on that as well. Yeah, I have Giovanni uh, as, as buybacks have become increasingly a story. Yeah, I have Gio- Giovanni. Oh, really? And yet, yes, there were a lot of people who felt that after the myocardial buy, which was very big, sell gene. Uh, uh, Bristol-Myers was really just going to go on a continual spree. That had been the wrap, the negative wrap, like the negative wrap I saw in Salesforce this morning. Uh, I think that, that uh, Giovanni, uh, it shows you with this buyback that they're generating a lot of cash with their anti-cancer franchise. Now they're doing a, a, an eloquist, might see those ads. Too. I always, when I'm watching football with my wife, I said, Eloquist, that, that's Bristol Myers. And she goes, So what? I mean, you know. And I said, No, no, you understand these ads are really important. And I think she's right. The game is worth, <laughs> game is worth focusing on more than the ads. Back to you, Carl. Oh my gosh, the Browns. First postseason win on the road since 69. Was that amazing? Oh my. And then there was this moment where they were only up by 12, and I think the whole country was right at that moment saying, oh, it's going to happen again, El Foldo. And it didn't. Uh, Carl, I thought that that was one of the most exciting games I've seen. Unbelievable. Our, our congratulations uh, to the folks in Cleveland. Uh, so we're obviously off of what the pre-market suggested, uh, Dow down 163. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Morning, Bob. Good morning, guys. Happy Monday, everybody. Four to one, declining to advancing stocks. Tough start, but remember, it's been a pretty amazing year. Take a look at the sectors here. It's the cyclical groups that have been doing so well that are weak today. Energy's finally cracking a little bit. Great week last week. Materials, consumer discretionary. Here's all your cyclical groups, tech, and even the banks week uh, after an excellent start. Uh, defensive groups like healthcare, uh, for example, and consumer staples, they're essentially flattish. Just show you the energy stocks here. What an amazing tear we've had in energy. I mean, most of these big energy names, the high beta energy names uh, like Occidental Marathon, Apache, they're still up almost double digits, even with the declines today. Exxon's only down a little bit because of that Morgan Stanley upgrade. But remember something, oil was on an absolute tear last week. We were 47 a week ago, closed around 52 Back down to 51 today, but it's really been a tremendous move up uh, for energy and for most of the defensive groups overall. So the market issues out there, uh, we've discussed them throughout the morning here on CNBC. Higher rates, uh, tensions in Washington, uh, overvaluation, folks. 90% of the S&P 500 is above the 200-day moving average. I know that's a technical indicator, but that's pretty amazing. That's, that's really big momentum overall. So we've got that. And, of course, the reality is the COVID winter is here. We saw that on the Friday jobs report. The U.S. labor market is essentially stuck. We need to get the vaccine uh, rolling out a little bit quicker to get us through this COVID winter. So the question is, how much more momentum does all of this cyclical play, the value, the small caps have? Just look what's been going on as we've gone just one week into 2021 here. Overall here, the sector leadership has really been strong. If you put up the sector leadership for 2021, um, energy stocks, bank stocks, the Russell 2000, all tremendously move on the upside here. And emerging markets have done well as the dollar has been weakened. Semiconductors has been a presence for a long time. So these are the cyclical groups and the small caps that have been leading us forward. Uh, And the issue is, how much more do we have given what's going on? The big story is Friday on the earnings report. Put that full screen on earnings back up. And I think the key story is here, while we're expected to be down 9%, you're going to see a lot more sober commentary uh, than you had at the end of the third quarter, when there was much more optimism, uh, a little more guidance that was more positive. I think you'll be a little more sober. We saw this with Bed Bath & Beyond uh, last week, December sales on the flat side, uh, given what's been going on uh, with the, the uh, lack of stimulus in December. So th- 
first quarter, second quarter uh, guidance is going to be, I think, um, a whole debate here about what goes on uh, with the COVID winter versus hope for the reopening. And the question is, how much more guidance are we really going to get? We've been complaining about the dearth of guidance in the third quarter and in the uh, potentially in the fourth quarter now. The question is, what happens in the first and second quarter? I think you're going to find companies being fairly cautious uh, in the near term. We'll get a much better sense on that beginning on Friday. Carl, back to you. Yeah, we're looking forward to all of that commentary. Uh, such a great source of information, Bob. Thank you. Let's get to Rick Santelli this morning as we focus on uh, rates. Welcome back, Rick. Thank you. Good morning, Carl. Happy New Year. You know, if we look at a 10-year going back a week, pretty much everything we need to know on interest rates is right there in front of us. Of course, the big notion is why have interest rates popped? Well, there's a variety of reasons that could have caused rates to pop, not the least of which is we have threes, tens, and thirties this week. Lots of supply because we're doing lots of spending. But the real issue here is, of course, the numbers and the politics of the Senate that opened up on Wednesday, uh, the 6th last week. And you could clearly see it change the trajectory of interest rates. And if you look at a, uh, a one-month ex- uh, chart, excuse me, a chart going back to mid-March, you can see where we're aiming most likely. Everybody's thinking, well, we're going at 119, 120 level. But don't be so sure. Uh, We really have some good momentum here. Rates have turned up. Outside of the two-year today, all rates are either unchanged or long maturities, which have been leading the way, are actually higher on the session at this point. Now, many are scratching their head what's going on with the dollar index. And I've heard so many stories, well, well, everybody's short. And all of that may indeed be true. But come on, folks, interest rates are going up. If you look at a one week of the dollar on top of tens, and you can clearly see what happened on Wednesday. When rates started to go up, they just pulled that dollar right with it. Makes total sense. And if you open the chart up to one month, it just jumps out at you in terms of what interest rates have done to the dollar. And certainly the fact that the the most enthusiastic trading position of late has been on the short side of the dollar. That just gives it a little bit of an added thrust. Now, how far can it go? Well, if you look at a four-month chart of the dollar index, listen, I don't think some of the bearish tendencies of the dollar have changed. You know, modern monetary theory, the fact that we now have uh, most likely all three branches of government in the democratic category is going to lead to a lot of spending. The markets are agnostic. Listen, here we are, what, just under 31,000 in the Dow? The markets are not upset. The markets are looking at everything in a very non-emotional way. And you know what they see? Spending, spending, spending. So if you think the interest rates are going to continue to go up, most likely the dollar is going to get a free ride for a while, at least on some of the fundamentals that have caused many investors globally to short it as of late. Carl and Jim, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll talk to you in a bit. Uh, Rick Santelli. As we go to break, uh, watch Lilly leading the S&P this morning, all-time high. The positive news on its experimental Alzheimer's treatment in a mid-stage trial. Stock's up uh, better than 10%. We're back in a moment. UBS upgrading Ralph Lauren and Kohl's this morning, uh, taking both stocks to neutral. RL, they say, benefiting from uh, post-COVID reopening and Kohl's, the partnership with Sephora is what they cite. They're in the green, although the Dow's down 200. Don't go away. Uh, let's get to Stop Trading with Jim. Right. We don't want to give short shrift to uh, the CES uh, conference. It's a giant conference. We spent a lot of time talking about the JP Morgan Health. Uh, we're all waiting. Lisa Sue, uh, AMD, 
Uh, AMD is kind of, uh, I'd say, the paradigm company right now of what hasn't moved during this incredible chip rally. Uh, this, and that's because it's buying Xilinx and it's really stalled the stock. Uh, maybe uh, she can get something going. The other stocks I'm looking at in terms, in terms of, of just chips is NVIDIA, by the way, because that's part of the uh, NEO uh, platform. And that matters a lot, too. And those are both stocks that have failed to participate in the rally, uh, Carl. So who knows? I mean, maybe their value plays, so to speak, versus the rest of the group. But uh, the CES is very exciting. You get a lot of interesting insights I know we'll be covering. No, yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking forward to the day where we can all go back and, and have it in person, that's for sure. Uh, Jim, as for the markets at large, our early session low was down 266. Art Cashin pointed out uh, that he thought there was some mild disappointment in the color of confrontation, as we do expect the House to roll out uh, the impeachment uh, proceedings later on this morning. Well, look, I think that there's uh, uh, people who are reluctant to just kind of jump in this time on the decline because they're looking at Washington. If it weren't Washington, obviously, it'd be very different. But Washington is, I would say, prevalent in people's minds. So people say, why don't we, why don't we wait? And, and this could be a difficult week until we get to earnings on Friday. I know that if you're a bank stockholder, you actually want things to come down and have those stocks cool off. All right, Jim. So tonight, BMY? Yeah, uh, Bristol-Myers has done so much in the last few uh, months to reinvent the company, and yet it doesn't get the headlines. Why? Because it's not involved with the vaccine. It's got some IP that it's offered. Uh, You've got, in one one of the most exciting companies that people don't talk about with Jeff Martha, which is Medtronic, they're doing incredible things. It's not just pacemakers, for heaven's sake. They've got, they could solve so many uh, things because they're willing to go into the brain. And I want to talk about the brain, which, of course, no one knows a thing about after all these years of, uh, look, of doing medicine. The brain remembers. The brain yeah. remains the most opaque part of our body. Finally, Jim, we almost made it through the hour without mentioning the Fed, but uh, Leesman did talk to Clarida last week. Looks like they're going to maintain $120 billion a month in QA, at least through year end. And we're going to get a lot of Fed speak uh, as we work our way through uh, to Friday. I mean, how much of that do you expect to uh, color the conversation we're having about the turmoil in D.C.? Well, I think that every time we get any sort of uh, any even an inch on the tenure that matters. I don't know how focused they are in terms of uh, what destabilization, what that means to the psyche of the country. Obviously, if you look at the big cap companies, they're doing quite well. But the unemployment rate is just unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, And the number on Friday, uh, very difficult, even though it was largely uh, due to hospitality and leisure, Jim. Uh, We'll see you tonight. Okay, thank you, Carl. 6 p.m., of course. Mad Money with Jim Cramer. Another hour of Squawk on the Street, less than three minutes away. Stay with us. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.